Well, as we've been saying, we start a, a new journey together today, and I really encourage you to have a Bible handy. We have spare Bibles here at Lena Valley up the back if you want to grab one. Uh, if you use your phone, do that. I think there are some Bibles available at Mornington. If you stick your hand up, I'm sure someone will grab you one. Uh, and the notes for today's message are in the Version Bible app if you're you know, technologically inclined. Uh, but I, I think it's really important that we take time to pull back and engage at a different level with the Psalms. I, if I'm to be honest, I'm a bit more of a practical kind of guy. I'm not... I, like, I've, I've been known to use the word artsy-fartsy kind of, you know, when it comes to, you know, that kind of gear. Uh, and, and it's important for me to have... Moments where I actually let the art of poetry, the beauty of a painting, the wonder of a, of, of, you know, a beautiful dance get to my heart, past my head. I think there's been a disease in modern Christianity where people get stuck in their heads and, and, and I think there's something uh, that means we're a bit impoverished because of that. That's why we want to come to the Psalms and because and, you don't know love in your head. Love is not a, just a, a concept. It's more than that. And, and so we want to come and see if we can glimpse in the Psalms how much we are loved. N.T. Wright writes in his book, he wrote a little book called The Case for the Psalms. He says, The Psalms, which make up the great hymn book at the heart of the Bible have been the daily lifeblood for Christians and, of course, the Jewish people from the earliest times. Yet in many Christian circles today, the Psalms are simply not used. And in many places where they're still used, whether said or sung, they're often reduced to a few verses to be recited as filler between other parts of the liturgy or worship services. In the latter case, people don't even seem to realise what they're singing. In the former case, they don't seem to realise what they're missing. The, enormous, the enormously popular worship songs, some of which use phrases from the Psalms here and there, but most of which do not, have largely displaced for thousands of regular and enthusiastic worshippers the steady rhythm and deep soul-searching of the Psalms themselves. This, I believe, is a great impoverishment. The regular praying and singing of the Psalms is transformative, N.T. Wright says. It changes the way we understand some of the deepest elements of who we are, or rather who, where, when and what we are. We are creatures of space, time and matter and though we take our normal understandings of these things for granted, it's my suggestion that Psalms will gently but firmly transform our understandings of all of them. They do this in order that we, we may be changed, transformed so that we look at the world, one another and ourselves in a radically different way which we believe to be God's way. So in this series, which we will start today and will continue up at the church camp, uh, and particularly we're choosing psalms up at the church camp that focus on rest and what does it mean to step into God's rest. 
But as we start today, as we start with the thing of relationship, we're going to do this sermon series a little bit differently. We're going to start by reading the psalm and I'm going to invite you, often we, what we would do is uh, ask for you to talk with others about how you respond to a question or whatever. But as we engage with these psalms, what I want you to do is see if any word or phrase in this psalm, Psalm 16, stands out to you. And uh, what I, as I read, I'm going to take myself off the screen and put a, a slide on the screen which gives, we'll, we'll have our Mentimeter link. And what, instead of you answering a question, what I'd love you to do, and whether, this is for if those who are a bit technologically inclined, there'll be a QR code and you can respond that way. And, and, and there's a link to this also in the sermon notes. Uh, we're going to put this slide up now. And what I'm going to ask you to do is as you hear and read, just name, is there a bit of this psalm that speaks to you? Is there a word or a phrase? Is there something here that speaks to you? And for those who are, who've got their phones handy, I invite you to, to use that code to let us know and we'll see at the end of this. But I'm just going to take a moment and at the start of every one of our sermons on the psalms, we're not going to start by talking about the psalm so much as just let ourselves hear the psalm. So let's just stop and listen and uh, see if you can hear what God would be wanting to say to you through this psalm. This is Psalm 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I've got no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they're the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a, a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. 
with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Just going to allow a moment um, for you to... Is there a word or a phrase that jumps out in Psalm 16? I invite you to put it into the the app or just if you don't have the phone handy just to reflect what is it that got to be showing you and we'll just take a moment to hear from each other which word or phrase has stood out as we put up the, the word cloud so this is how we want to start every one of our psalms as we do this rather than jumping straight into working out thinking about it in our head just allowing it to speak to us it's, don't you find it interesting that the, the number one word there is refuge? It's the, the bigger the words are, the more people have written the same thing. Thank you to everybody who has responded and encourage you to keep responding as we now uh, change gears for a moment and see if we can see what is it that God wants us to hear in this psalm. So I think this psalm lays the foundation for the rest of our engagement with the psalms. So we can take the word cloud off now. Thanks, guys. I, as I said, I, I think this Psalm 16 <clears throat> lays the groundwork for, for the rest of the, the year for us before we get to Christmas. Can you believe that? We'll be in the Psalms till we get to Christmas. Uh, and part of the reason it does that is it, it talks about the, the whole approach to life we could and should have. It says this, it's basically saying this is what a healthy life looks like. This is what it means to live from the basis that you know you're loved. And David, they, they actually don't know what the word miktam means. It, sa it says in the psalm, a miktam of David. There's been whole lots of scholars writing about what that word means. No one really knows. They think it's either some kind of monument or some kind of musical term. Um, but the first thing he says is, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. It's important to say here, he's not saying, I've got some really scary thing about to happen to me and I, I need you to keep me safe from it. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, from day to day, with all the ups and downs of life, I know I'm going to need your protection. As I wake up this morning, God, you are my refuge, is what he's saying. He's saying this is the basis of his life. This is the foundation of his life. And then he says... I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. 
One of the most important questions that you face is where are your good things? What are your good things? What are the things you value most in your life? It's interesting, we've just commemorated the passing of Queen Elizabeth. She said, uh, through the many changes I've seen over the years, faith, family and friendship have been not only a constant for me, but a source of personal comfort and reassurance. What she was saying is for her, faith, family and friendship are the three things she values, the three most important things for her. What you value will determine your life. What you value will determine your life. What you value will determine what you spend your money on and will, spend, will determine what you spend your time on. It will determine the course of your life. And you hear what the psalmist here, what David's saying is, I, I, don't, I just don't want to value anything but you, God. That's, you're the one I want to value, is what he's saying. He says, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they're the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Not only is it really important for you to know what you value, but it's also important for you to know what the people around you value. Because all the research shows that you will end up valuing what the people who you surround yourself will value. We are, God, God has wired us to be people who need community. And the more time you spend listening to people who have uh, values that head in a particular direction, the more likely you are to be also have, have values that head in that direction. And that's why some of the social media things are a bit dangerous because people end up heading in all kinds of weird directions and algorithms keep them focused on people who don't think any differently to them. We are shaped by the people we hang around with. And so here David is saying, I value the people who value God. They're the ones I want to hang around with. And it's really important. It's really important to work out who are the people you hang around with. That's what David's saying. And it's important to be able to say, yeah, the people, those people there, well, see, they, they value things that I don't value. And I'm going to choose to distance myself from them. I wonder if you can do that. I wonder if you can say these people in my life value the important stuff and these people in my life value the stuff that's not important. And here David's showing us how it works. He says, those who run after other gods are going to suffer more and more. I'm not going to pour out libations of blood, this is verse 4, to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Valuing and worshipping the wrong things has profound consequences. Valuing and worshipping the wrong things has profound consequences. 
There is something in your life that is the most important thing in your life to you. And what David is saying is, if that, th- that most important thing in your life isn't God, you're going to wind up in trouble, is what David is saying. There's a, a secular author who passed away, sadly, from suicide. Uh, and I've read this bit from him a couple of times. because I, I, I think he, in his pain... In his, in his wrestle, uh, he, he named the reality we all live in. His name is David Foster Wallace. There's been a, a movie made about his uh, life. He wrote he, a, a book uh, that all kinds of people said was a really wonderful novel uh, in the late 20th century. But he says this, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, There is no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And see, this is what David is saying here in this psalm. David Foster Wallace goes on, there an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God, as I said, he's not a Christian, uh, or spiritual type thing to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. He says, if you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly and when the time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the edge of being found out. The insidious things about, insidious thing about all these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're the default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that's what you're doing. What David is doing here is, is, is helping himself and us be conscious about what we worship. It's really easy to unconsciously worship unhealthy things and to have those things come in and set your agenda for you. The book of Romans, chapter 6, says you become a slave of what you worship. Paul says, don't you know when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Jesus understood this. This is why I think there is a, 
I, I, I'm increasingly coming to view the parable of the sower as kind of the, the key parable that all the others help unpack. And the, and the idea that the, 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 the sower plants a seed and for some people it just bounces off, for some people it falls on rocky ground so it doesn't get down into the ground. But then for some people it gets down into the ground. But remember what it says? The worries of this life. The deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. What he's saying is, Jesus is saying, this is in the parable of the sower, that all of a sudden you start worshipping other stuff and that stuff starts setting your agenda for you and no longer are you worshipping God. David here in the Psalms is saying, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to get my priorities wrong. And, there, and then in verse 5, this beautiful picture. Lord, you alone are my portion and cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I'll praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. One of the realities we all have to come to terms with, and none of us like, is we live within boundary lines. We live within boundary lines. You, are, you live within the boundary line of your age and that's going to keep on increasing and becoming more and more of a boundary line as you, as you get older. You live in the boundary line of your health, of your size, of your culture. You live in all kinds of boundary lines, of the, the amount of money you have. We live in a world that says you shouldn't have boundaries. You shouldn't have boundary lines. But the reality is, and what David is saying is, I, I know I've got boundaries. But as I look at what I have and not what I don't have, I like what I have. The secret to joy is being able to say, God, thank you for what I have. Thanks for the life you've given me. Thanks for the boundary lines I'm living within. It's easy to spend your energy wanting other boundary lines, wanting things to be different, wanting to look different, to have more money, to be different age. I think, um, what was that, that uh, youth is wasted on the young, you know, it, it, it would be temp wouldn't it be nice to go back to be 16 with, with all the, the knowledge you have now? There, but we live within boundary lines. And we have, there, there is a, a, a dangerous kind of Christianity that says, trust God and he'll put the boundary lines where you want them. That's heresy. That is not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is Philippians 4. 
As Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Philippians 4.11 I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learnt the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What David is doing is saying, thanks God, I like my life. Now, we, we might be able to look at him and go, yeah, but he was king. You know, he had a, he, <laughs> but look, look at his life. He had a son who betrayed him. He made huge mistakes. Uh, he went from battle to battle to battle. There probably weren't many moments of actual peace where everything felt like it was working well. For most of his life, he was on the run. That's him. And he's saying, I like my life. I bet you there's part of you that finds, finds it hard sometimes to say, I like my life. Is that true? But what, what he is demonstrating for us is when he says, you know, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, is that no matter how complicated your life is, there will be sparks of joy, moments of wonder. And Pollyanna was right. Who's seen the movie Pollyanna with Hayley Mills in it? My, we, we, that became our babysitting uh, technique for our eldest daughter, Maddie. Uh, for a, we would plonk that and she, she loved it. I don't know if she's seen it as an adult. But, she, but Pollyanna would play the glad game. And it was a theme of the movie that she would always find something to be glad about. It's actually a really important thing. This is what David's showing us. This is what it means to know, to live from a place of love is to know that there is a God and yet life is going to be complicated. But within the complications, there are going to be glimmers of hope and life and love. And what we know is that the secular scientists have done the work. Harvard, the Harvard University Health Department says gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity and build strong relationships. So what David's saying here in Psalm 16 is be thankful. And then what he also says is, you'll notice this, even at night my heart instructs me that the journey we're on and the journey of the spiritual life is to get past your head who tries to work everything out and to listen to your own heart. Religion is dangerous when it tries to get you to act a certain way and say that everyone who acts this way has got it together. The, the fundamental question of your spiritual journey is to listen to your own heart. And as you do listen to your heart and learn to be grateful for who you are not, and not be worried, less, worried a bit less about who you're not, 
then you'll find you, you won't be thrown around by life as much. It's interesting, David lands it and he, and he says, with him at my right hand, I'll not be shaken. He's the, the, it'd be worth at some point reading Psalm 15, because that's really the theme of Psalm 15, the kind of people who won't be shaken. It's normal to be shaken by life circumstances, by the ups and downs of life. But it's a, a sign of maturity in the Bible and in real life, that your circumstances don't determine who you are. In Ephesians 4, there's this picture of mature maturity. Paul says, as we grow up and become mature, we're not going to be like infants, like babies, tossed back and forth by the waves. That The picture of an immature person is somebody who is easily shaken. A little, a little baby, it's beautiful. Babies need their parents and it's right for them to get upset and feel like the world is failing when someone takes a lolly away from them. Like that's, that's what babies do. But as you grow up, the hope is that you learn to live from the incredible news that God loves you and your circumstances don't change that. And it, he becomes the firm foundation, is what David wants us to hear. And so he goes from that and says, Therefore, verse 9, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. God invites us to the kind of faith that is more than our ideas, more than our emotions. He invites us to the kind of faith that affects our whole lives. And as we were praying before, that even affects our health, our, our whole bodies. We are called to have faith, body, soul and spirit. And David is here saying, this affects my body as much as anything else is what he's saying. He goes on, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. As we begin this sermon series, as looking at these Psalms, this is the question. Do you believe that God wants you to have life? Do you believe that God wants you to have life? And this other question this psalm raises is, have you been looking for life in other places? This is the journey of our faith, to learn to let go of the, the things that we think will bring us life and to understand that it's only through Jesus we find life. John 10.10 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. 
but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Isn't that good news? So we, we want to live from this place of knowing we are loved and live from the life that is available when you stop worrying about what you're not and stop worrying about the things that are difficult and things are going to be difficult. But even, even as they're difficult, being able to celebrate what is and to see God's hand even in the difficulties. I'm just going to, as we come, the band can come back up at Mornington, I'm just going to, for one, one last time, read Psalm 16. And again, I encourage you to let your heart hear it. And see, and see again, is there anything God wants you to hear in Psalm 16? Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I've got no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom all is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I'll not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Keep, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore... My heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you see your faith, let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Jesus, help us. Help us live from the place of knowing we are loved. And help us be honest, at least, with ourselves about the places we go to look for life that is in other places than you. Help us see, help us honestly see how the, the desires for life from other sources has brought us pain so we can see the reality of it. And help us discover the, the life and health and hope that is found in you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.